the journey to spiritual liberation is a rocky journey for everyone. And along the way, as we gain more awareness, the first thing we gain is more awareness of how much pain we are in and how impossible our life situation seems to be. And everyone thinks they're suffering more than everyone else. And they are. Because no one's pain can be measured against anyone else. And the main problem that causes the suffering is that the ego creates an inability to have a loving relationship. Either to accept the help or to think they need it or to be able to offer an open heart because of fear, because of the wounds that have been received. And the ego continues to project that the other wants to wound them or reject them or exclude them or whatever, no matter who that other is. And it's a prejudgment that gets superimposed on the reality of the situation and it distorts that reality and it makes it impossible to connect. This is what Maya is about. And yet underneath that, all everyone really wants is love. And everyone really wants to give love. And really everyone is love. But because these bridges have been burned and there's so much fear because of the betrayals of the past, one doesn't take a chance and then one wants to blame the other for one's own not willingness to take the risk of loving and of accepting love. And so one remains in a hell realm when heaven is just that far away. And it's not even far away outside because it really doesn't have to do ultimately with any other. It has to do with accepting the love that is within. Right? The kingdom of heaven is within. It's not that one even needs the help or the love of another. And what we learn on the spiritual path is that we must take responsibility for our own lives for our own closed heart, for our own anger, for our own projections. And we cannot demand that we be rescued or saved by another, but we must dissolve the ego mind that makes such demands and that is so dissatisfied with itself, so filled with self-loathing and hatred of the world and is so uncomfortable in its skin. It's that that we must overcome through a process of self-forgiveness, forgiveness of the world, forgiveness of God even, because we've projected anger there, forgiveness of the other, and one's own ego for deceiving one. And then allowing it to die. But the odd thing is we cherish this very ego that is the cause of our suffering and we won't let it die. We think it protects us. Ego death is the goal of every spiritual tradition. There isn't one that doesn't say you must die and then be reborn in the true self as the love that you are. And yet, how many of us will let that ego die? And we don't let it die because we're afraid of loneliness. 
One of the words for ego death in the Ashtanga yoga tradition begun by Patanjali is kaivalya. The ultimate goal is kaivalya. And for Patanjali, what this meant is a separation of purusha from prakriti. And then purusha lives in complete solitude. Kaivalya means solitude. You're all alone. And indeed, we are all alone. And we don't want to face that we're all alone. And we would rather have a bad object out there that we can be angry at and think, well, if only it wasn't for them, I'd be okay and loved and all right, rather than realizing we are absolutely alone in a world that is our own projection. But that's the situation. We are alone. And yet, we'll keep the fantasies going in the mind rather than having a mind that is silent and present, that is peaceful, that exudes and emanates the energies of the self that our love, that our beauty, that our joy, our bliss will keep the gnawing anger and dissatisfaction going so that we don't feel like we're all alone in an empty, cold world. The irony is that once we allow ourselves to enter into the solitude, we find it's not a solitude that is an isolation from the world. It's not a loneliness it is a unity with all that is. You're alone because there is no other. We are all one. It's a oneness with God, with the Buddha nature, with the source of all goodness. But we must let the mind die in order to know that. And the fear of that keeps the negative thought cycle going on and on, and we're like a gerbil in the cage, round and round and never getting anywhere. And it is jumping out of this cage that the spiritual process is about, and that takes courage. That's all that it really takes. And silencing the mind with discipline, with great soothing of the mind's uh, anxieties which get defended by anger and get defended by other distractions, diversions, desires, addictions, etc. But when we allow that all to settle, we find that the divine self is right there, has been right there all along. The kingdom of God isn't buried miles under the ocean like some oil well you have to drill uh, thousands of feet down. It's right there. It's on the surface, but we just don't connect with it out of fear of losing this ego cycle that we think keeps us alive and actually keeps us from truly living. There's a great tradition in the uh, Buddhist, uh, Tibetan Buddhist lineage in particular. It's called Chud. We have a Chud master here. But uh, it was started by a woman, actually, Machig Ladron. And uh, it means cutting. The word actually means cutting, uh, like the Vajrakilaya tradition that we've studied before. But what it means is you cut the self-cherishing of the ego. You cut all your connection to wanting to have this ego, which will then give you all your, your suffering. And the Chud practitioners, what they do is they go into dangerous places all alone and feel all of their fear. They bring it up. They bring up all the fear that they have, and they stop uh, allowing themselves even to want to live, even to want to get away, even to survive. They cut the cherishing of the ego altogether. And then they find that the fear goes away. 
And when the fear of the loneliness in dealing with a dangerous world, like sometimes they'll sit in cemeteries and you know, fear that spirits will attack them or invade them, or they'll go to dangerous neighborhoods or whatever. But they will then, once they have cut the connection to needing the ego to survive, they will find that under that fear is great joy. And that they don't really need to go to those places. And then they realize, you know what, they had the same fear in their own home. They didn't need to go to the cemetery or the dangerous barrio. It's there all the time, that fear. But that fear is only there because one is afraid of one's own self. One's afraid of the connection to the source that will change your life forever because the ego will die. So we all have to become chud masters here and cut away the cherishing of the ego which creates the suffering and that cuts us off from the love that we all have within and we want it to come out and manifest and to be a gift to all others in the world. And that's the only thing that will fulfill us when our love flows out, especially flows out to the ones that we think don't love us to the ones that, that we hate, perhaps, that, that we feel have failed us, that disappoint us, all of that, when the love can flow unconditionally, then we have saved our souls. And we have to do that for ourselves. It's not that we need someone to do that for us. We have to do that. That's the, the greatest courage. And that's what all of the teachings of all the traditions, Christ taught that, Buddha taught that, it was taught by Mahavira and Jain tradition, by everyone. It's common knowledge. <laughs> it's even common knowledge to every ego, but we don't live it. We fail ourselves at every moment by keeping some barrier to love and keep on blaming the other. And so it doesn't take anything, any real effort in meditation except letting go of the mind's effort to project its unhappiness out onto the world and to turn within to the source to extinguish that unhappiness. And once you do that, all of your judgments fall away, they dissolve in this love. All of your fears and anxieties, the anger, all of it it becomes laughable. And something so much more vast, so much more cosmic of your being begins to emerge that you don't have any time for those kinds of petty thoughts anymore. There's so much more important to do in this world of a cosmic level of action that is inconceivable to that petty ego that's fighting its little battles that are just vain and empty repetitions of a cycle of nostalgia for lost objects of the past. And we don't live in the present And we don't actually make use of our potentials. And that is what we then hate ourselves for even more, that we have failed to grow to the full stature of our potential. And it's that unlived life that the existentialists talk about that eats away at us and creates bitterness. It's not an unlived set of sensual experiences that we are lacking, It's not that we should have taken another vacation in Greece or we should have married this person or that one or whatever. It's not about that. It's the unlived courage, the unmanifested power of your spirit to live in truth that eats away at us. 
And that's what kills everyone because they have failed to do that. It's the inauthentic existence that keeps us from being able to look in the mirror, keeps us from being able to sleep ultimately, creates all kinds of neurotic forms of suffering, even psychosis, if the agony is bad enough to try to escape that knowledge, we will go into total madness. We'll do anything. We'll kill ourselves. The ego would prefer to kill itself as an act of self-cherishing to keep itself from, fe- from seeing the truth mirrored back to it. We would prefer to physically die, even though it'll have to come back on the wheel of rebirth and do it again, but it thinks, okay, temporarily I've escaped. That's how far bad faith can go. And it can murder because one doesn't want to see the other mirroring back what one doesn't want to see. And this is what creates all the wars, all the disharmony, all the terror, all the agony in the world. And we could all be free of all of that at this moment if we would live in truth. And living in truth, first of all, means silencing that egoic mind that wants to distract you from your heart, from your center. And then it means drilling deep below the surface levels of your suffering and enter into the core of your being and bringing up that energy into the conscious mind and then you will experience the white light you'll experience the love that you were looking for out there and you'll experience it in a more and more purified form and the fantasies that had deceived you and caused you to get into dead-end relationships and uh, false expectations and misinterpretations of reality will dissolve and you'll finally see things as they really are in the infinitude of this world in the divine beauty of everyone including yourself and this is liberation so why not give yourselves the gift of liberation and why wait to do it next year or next lifetime when you can have it now the world needs you to be liberated so you can be a catalyst to help in the process of liberating others. And you have the inherent right and the inherent power and the inherent capacity to do it here and now. That's what we're doing when we meditate. Simply that. And so there's no techniques, there's no system you have to follow. Just silence the mind and be in your heart. And don't allow the ego, which is an object in the mind, to take over and create some narrative of desire or fear or other kind of suffering that takes you away from being at peace in the now. That's all there is to do. Be present and accept your presence here and now in your body, in your consciousness, in the world, in the mind of God. Because we are in all of that simultaneously. And then you will feel the extraordinary divinity of your being. Because that's all we are, manifestations of the divine mind.